Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Series E. I'm Shoshana Swell, and this is where founders raise their Series E round of experience. Today, I have Celine Jennison on the show, and Celine is the co-founder of Plastic Tides and founder of Anato. She is such a great representation and has amazing stories of what it means to raise your Series E. And just a little bit about this episode, it's we mainly talk about the journey, what it's like for her to get into entrepreneurship and how she discovered her first product and the process of making products out of trees, which is so cool. And we just talk about so much more. There's so much to learn in this. And I selfishly wanted to learn so much about how you make a product and how you do all that she's done. It's so interesting. And really, her products are changing the way that we look at our planet and all the products that surround us and make us question how we can replace things, how we can be more plastic free. And I can't wait to hear, I restart, I'm too excited. I can't wait for you to hear her passion in this episode. And she even announces a possible collaboration with Patagonia, like super casual, just came out at the end of the interview. So make sure you listen to the end and let's get into the episode. A water woman and plant enthusiast, Celine is a regenerative lifestyle evangelist and outdoor educator. She has been making her own medicine and cosmetics since the age of 12 and holds degrees from Cornell and Oxford universities in environmental science. Celine leads workshops and expeditions around the world, helping people reduce their waste and live in a minimalist lifestyle in tune with nature. She is co-founder of the nonprofit Plastic Tides, and founder of social enterprise startup Anato, Forest to Face Skincare. Welcome to Series E. Thanks. It's awesome to be on with a fellow Cornelian. Yes, I'm so excited to have you here. The reason I found out about Celine is because when I was a student at Cornell, um, she sent out an email about her company looking for people to hire. And I was like, oh my gosh, this, this brand is so cool. I need to learn more. And right before this, I was looking at your Instagram stories and I realized that two years ago, my friends were interns for you. Oh, wait, which friends? Angela and Christian. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. From CUSD. They were both uh, CUSD. I get a lot of CUSD because I was at CUSD, Cornell University Sustainable Design for like three years, my whole time at Cornell. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Just like it's a line. We're meant to be here together. (laughs) so the first part of this podcast we're gonna start with the seed round so basically we just want to lay a bit of the foundation of your background and kind of what got you to where you are today so I want to learn more about how exactly everything originated where are you from and where are you right now so I was born and raised in London and my mother's French and my father's American so I have a bit of a exotic background um and i currently live in santa cruz california uh with my boyfriend christian cool and how many years has anato been in santa cruz since i started it so um actually this month anato turns two and i have yet to do some sort of social media um you know expose about it but (laughs) It comes yeah, later, just have to, some cake. Yeah. <laughs> this this month. Yep, exactly. Quarantine style party. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So I saw in your bio, you talked about how you started making cosmetics at the age of 12. I'm curious, 
what in your childhood and maybe you want to talk to more of those experiences brought you to building this today? Sure. So when I was about 11, I was diagnosed with an immune deficiency and I just kept on getting sick. I had everything from bronchitis to chest and chest infections to uh, continuous sore throats. And um, I, the doctors couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. And they just kept on sending me home with some paracetamol and told me to sleep. And um, my mother's best friend happens to be a herbalist. And she sat me down one day and said, I want to help you. Uh, Here's what I suggest. And so she came up to my room, we had a chat for like an hour and I was young and she's like, um, going through, you know, the meals that we eat at home, my activities and long story short, uh, she, this herbalist was able to cure me by administering me a plant-based medicine that we call a tincture. And, um, I was cured from my immune deficiency literally within a few weeks And this opened my eyes to the power of plants and nature in general. So she gave me a herbal preparation. Then she also suggested some, you know, diet changes. Um, Not that we ate unhealthy. We eat like French meals at home, Mm -hmm. but it's a lot of cheese and a lot of butter and a lot of bread and croissant and, you know, things like that. Uh, Foods that you want to avoid when you are sick or think you're going to be sick. So she really got me on this trajectory of, you know, learning everything I could about plants. And um, I would go to her house. She had this beautiful shelf with all these um, jars of dried plants and magic potions. And we would make um, lip balm with uh, beetroot and we would make face masks with egg yolk and things that she had in her kitchen and scrubs and oats and things like that. And then I started playing around uh, with plants from that, you know, young age and making all sorts of concoctions, rose water with my mother's English roses and stuck these potions in the fridge and then let them sit because I can never use like 10 bottles of rose water for my skin. (laughs) Um, So yeah, that's kind of how I got started and interested and never looked back. It's always been a passion of mine. There's so much to learn. That's amazing. And does she know about your company right now? And oh, when, yeah, did you, when you shared that, what was her reaction? Yeah, she she was really excited for me. I mean, I've always been on the same path. I'm I'm one of those lucky people. You know, I knew early on what I wanted to study. It was plants and medicinal plants. And so she's followed my whole educational trajectory. I call her up, you know, when I'm anxious. I, I still call her up if I have health problems that I can't seem to fix. And um, she, she's always there. She's always uh, been a listener and a mentor and someone I'm close to, but you know, who's not my mother. And so, um, but cause she's my mother's best friend. So it's, it's an interesting relationship. And uh, I, I definitely look up to her and to her calmness. Wow. That's so, that's so important. I'm curious when you said potions, what does that <laughs> um, mean? Oh, potions. I just use the word potions because it's kind of funny. And, you know, when I started getting into plants and I was just a high school student and things, I would have this uh, alcoholic um, solution that is what we call a tincture. And so it's alcohol um, that is used to make a plant-based medicine. So um, 
the alcohol basically is used to extract the plant beneficial compounds that you want and um, and keep them um, you know preserve the the potion and so that that would be a potion you know other potions just any 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 oil um, like olive oil that you would put in a jar and fill fill the jar up with some plants um, so that you can capture the plant chemicals that we call phytochemicals into that oil um, and so I just say potions because when you're into this stuff you end up with potions left and right on your shelf and mm -hmm. in your fridge you know and then sometimes you don't remember what you made <laughs> that's awesome yeah I when I was younger I the first thing I ever made was like a lip scrub and oh, okay. I was so empowered by that I put like vanilla in it and just sugar probably Vaseline and it was just like in our fridges for a while I, yeah. I never sold it and it was never an entrepreneur at a young age like that maybe just like lemonade stands but the mm -hmm. that's like item that you actually made it's so it can really open your eyes to a lot of things yeah for sure what kind of brought your interest in entrepreneurship curious also you said you were kind of always felt like you were on this path and you've always kind of gone to school for these specific things what even like I'm curious at Cornell brought you to entrepreneurship so I suppose I, without really knowing it, I have been an entrepreneur just both from like actually, you know, typical entrepreneurial activities, but also just being kind of ahead of the curve, I suppose, and doing things differently and just following your passion, which is what an entrepreneur does. Um, so first of all, plants, like I was studying my like grandma recipes on how to cure I don't know, toe fungus and stuff like that. When I was a kid, like who else is interested in that? So that I suppose is, is one aspect, just, just niching in and just really focusing on something that you're passionate about. And then the other thing is um, once I, I grew a passion for medicinal plants and ethnobotany, which is the um, study of how humans interact and use plants, ethnobotany, um, I, I started interning wherever I could. I, my first internship was on an aromatherapy farm in the south of France. And um, that got me really interested in Mediterranean plants and things. And so I came home after that. And that winter, um, you know how schools always have like winter fairs to raise money for charity and what have you. And so I um, went to the natural health food store and I bought a bunch of bulk plants and um herbs and made three different types of medicinal teas and um, sold them and kept some money for me and gave some money to charity and felt very good about that. <laughs> That's amazing. I love that. Very cool. So on this podcast, we kind of really explore the importance of experience and also self-care um, with what you're building as it, as building a company can encompass all parts of your soul because of that passion that lies into it. So I'm curious, what is your current self-care routine or things you do for self-care? Well, for me, self-care has pretty much always been just making sure I get my exercise. I have always had to work harder or work extra hard compared to others because um, I am dyslexic. I was never really diagnosed, but I know I am. And so I've, I've always been a slow learner. And um, so because of that, I spent way longer than anyone else studying anything. And, um, and because of that, you know, physical activity and having an outlet has always been really important to me. And my family is very outdoorsy. 
Um, in the summer, we used to sail and in the winter, we used to skiel winter in the Alps. And so for me, self-care is being with my family and spending time outside and um, just tuning out, observing nature and being in nature. And that is literally, you know, yeah, what self-care is to me. Um, there's perhaps another aspect to self-care, which is uh, this passion I have for um, design and creativity. You know, um, I've always made jewelry when I was a kid and painted things. And that's definitely a form of self-care for me. Um, but it's funny because, you know, one might think I was always like really into skincare and trying all these different skincare regimens, but that was never the case. Mm. Um, and I can talk more about uh, why I ended up in skincare. But um, yeah, self-care for me is, is really about making sure I get my exercise and I'm really fortunate. I live in Santa Cruz. I, uh, I actually live in an RV and to cut my overhead and my living costs and I have an ocean view right now so I go to the ocean very frequently I take all my business calls uh on the beach and listen to the ocean and look at the ocean and that that is the extent of self-care for me right now it really is there's not time for anything else that's amazing I've I love the breadth of your self-care as well. And I think one thing was interesting is the hobbies and other things you try outside. I think a lot of people often think like when you're trying a hobby, oh, this needs to become a business. This I can capitalize off of this. But often it's just for pure pleasure and for fun and to create in a different way and use your mind differently. Yeah, absolutely. When you said the suspense of we're going to talk about skincare and everything, I need to hear the story of how Anato came to be. And w- I was reading about this. And one thing that's so interesting is you started raising what I call it your Series E when you went on a trip with your brother to kind of tra- to travel and, and learn new things. So I'm curious if we could start even there um, and then how Anato came to be. Sure. So I can actually start, I suppose, uh, two, three, two, three years before that when I was just a senior at Cornell and uh, two friends of mine at Cornell, um, one of them is my boyfriend still, um, and our partner Gordon, we really wanted to combine our love for water sports with environmental action. This was in 2013 and plastic pollution really wasn't on people's radar yet, Um, but we found that plastic pollution was a great way to talk about environmental problems because it's a tangible a tangible problem that has tangible solutions it's a visible problem you see a piece of plastic on the beach and you think to yourself that's not right and i mean unless you really don't give a shit but um (laughs) usually that's how people you know view this problem and so in 2014 just literally a week after i graduated we set off on an expedition around the island of bermuda to film an adventure documentary filming um, in Bermuda because there's this juxtaposition of amazing marine life, beautiful coral and all sorts of things with uh, plastic pollution that is very prevalent. And Bermuda is surrounded by the Sargasso Sea, uh, which um, is named after the seaweed Sargassum in Latin, and it floats at the surface of the water. And so um, because it floats, it creates little islands of seaweed and the birds come and sit on these little islands of seaweed and peck at the seaweed 
And unfortunately, the reason we picked Bermuda is because it's the closest landmass to a well-known plastic gyre. A plastic gyre is an, accumula an accumulation of plastic in the ocean. And so it's a very good place to film a documentary where you can see, you know, this plastic pollution with uh, marine biodiversity. Anyhow, so we, we set off on this expedition on stand-up paddle boards. Uh, we were self-sufficient. This means that we didn't have a boat following us around. We were literally camping out on the beach, um, staying on our stand-up paddle boards from morning till night. Sometimes we'd arrive on a beach at midnight, not knowing where we were. And um, wow. this, oh my yeah, God, it, that's crazy. It, it, we had all our gear on our stand-up paddle boards. We, I think, we really pioneered this uh, idea of using this paddle craft as a way to um, inspire action and get people excited about environmentalism. And anyhow, so during this expedition, you know, this plastic problem was really visible to me. Like I hadn't really thought about it before that much, and we found ourselves, you know, with all this trash at the end of the trip. And one of the things was like skincare and personal care products, you know, and um, this might be a bit out there for this type of podcast, but when you're a woman, you know, you have your period, what do you do with these things that you put inside your body, especially when you're in the middle of the ocean on an expedition? And so this really got me thinking about the products I was using uh, on my skin and just, you know, for my body and, you know, my personal care uh, things. And even though I was passionate about plants, I, I hadn't really considered this, this packaging mm. issue. So that just kind of got my wheel spinning. And then after this expedition, I went on to start my master's and pursued my passion for uh, ethnobotany and sustainable agriculture. All, all the world's sort of contributing to plastic tides. And it's really after graduating from Oxford that I needed a break. And that's when I set off to travel around the world with my brother Nicholas to um, kind of just sit on this idea of environmentalism and, you know, think about what I was going to do next. And that's when I decided to start really making my own cosmetics and preparing ourselves this herbal first aid kit that was basically first aid and then uh personal care products and I, it was this cute little kit that was sewed by um my brother's girlfriend and it had to have everything we, we were traveling around the world for a year and we had uh, two surfboards we had kiteboarding equipment we had tents um you know etc etc and th there was very little room for personal care and medicine and so it forced me to think about multifunctionality okay what products can i bring on this trip that's going to serve multiple purposes so i had a few things with me and i traveled around with it and i i was always there to like help people out when they had you know uh, an infection and um on their skin or i would hand out the sunblock that i had made and um because it, it worked really well and then people started asking me if i could sell this kit if they could buy it from me or whatever and so that got my wheels spinning and wow. got me thinking about oh skincare would be a great way to inspire people about solutions to plastic pollution and educate people about the importance of trees and perennial plants which is my passion and again I can talk more about this and what makes an auto different but that's kind of the inception story of an auto. Wow, that's crazy. And 
I think, well, across your whole journey, I'm so curious about the film and the impact of that, but also what allowed you either to do that film or take this leap after leaving Oxford to really put yourself forward, your ideas beyond like all the pressure. And I'm sure at Cornell, you felt at any in, like big school institution, we always have this pressure where it's going into corporate or going into something maybe you're not interested in because just because you studied it. Curious what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, so what enabled us to do the expedition was a Kickstarter campaign. And I can't take credit for that. My two partners at Plastic Tides worked on that um, themselves, Gordon and Christian. And um, so that's kind of how we were able to do Plastic Tides um, through crowdfunding. And then after Oxford, I came back, graduated with my brother, who also happened to graduate at the same time as me, and a family friend was asking me what, what I was thinking of doing. And, you know, I, I was definitely throughout the gap year, like applying for jobs and stuff. I applied to uh, a number. I, you know, did my research, really started to connect with people on LinkedIn and figure out what I wanted to do. And I couldn't find anything. And so this family friend said, oh my gosh, you have a great idea here and I want to invest in you. And so that's when I was like, all right, all right. <laughs> um, and so that's kind of how I was able to get started through some friends and family funding to uh, put some ideas down on paper and give it, give it a go. That's very special to have that support. And whether it's through money or anything else, just the support around your partners, too. That's so cool that you got to explore this, this industry and this thing that you're creating that's now completely full in itself right now can you tell us what differentiates anato when you're explaining like you need to share the details more about it mm -hmm. so i'd love to learn more yeah so you know during my studies through my undergrad and my graduate uh experiences i i was trying to figure out how we can feed the world sustainably so my passion for medicinal plants kind of grew into this passion for sustainable farming systems because medicinal plants and herbalism is very niche. And I always thought about the bigger picture, but what's sustainability? Like, what do we do three, four times a day? We eat. Okay. So we need to talk about this. And throughout my studies, I kept coming back. I, I was doing, I did so many projects through COSD. Um, I went to Nicaragua to help build a sustainable house and garden prototype where people could live off the land and we developed these um these gardening systems that are very diverse and in parallel to my studies i went off and hung out with hippies basically and i would go to these retreats in the middle of nowhere and studied sustainable agriculture from a grassroots perspective and there was this movement that we call permaculture which really got me my wheel spinning. I became passionate and I still am passionate about permaculture, which is a farming system that mimics the natural environment, like natural ecosystems, think like biomimicry to optimize food production and other ecosystem services. And um, so that's what I sort of further studied at Oxford is agroforestry, which is mimicking the forest ecosystem to provide food and other ecosystem services. So when we think about ecosystem services, these are uh, things like uh, carbon sequestration, protecting the soil from erosion. What else do trees provide us with water, you know, oxygen, um, they provide habitat for wildlife. And this, this passion 
agroforestry got me thinking like how can we tell people that we need to be eating more tree crops and perennial plants because in my opinion trees are one of the best solutions we have at reversing climate change it's a natural process that takes co2 and transforms it in oxygen and what do we need right now in face of climate change we need this we need carbon to get taken out of the atmosphere and go down into the soil where carbon belongs carbon belongs below our feet it belongs in the soil and deep down under the oceans it doesn't belong in the atmosphere where it's contributing to global warming and so i actually wrote a paper at oxford studying how i could try and figure out how to tell people how to consume more perennial plants and tree crops the problem is that food and diet is so ingrained in culture right uh, it's really hard to tell you for instance hey you know what you should eat more perennial plants and you should eat more asparagus because it's perennial as opposed to uh, a leafy green like spinach which is not perennial and you're going to look at me like yeah but you know but my, I have this diet I'm doing blah 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 really hard mm -hmm. okay um, since I have this you know background sort of studying aromatherapy and, and um, herbalism that's when I kind of put two and two together and really realized that I could use a skincare line to start uh, diffusing this information because I stayed in academia for two years. I helped write, uh, well, we still have a paper in publication, but I was deep into science. But the problem is science takes a really long time. It's super tedious and it's really hard to um, express science to the general public. And after working in the nonprofit sphere and basically kind of being fed up uh, writing grants and chasing after money all the time and having people literally say they're going to contribute to your nonprofit and then you never see the money. It was super frustrating. And that's when it all kind of clicked together. I can use this passion I have for agroforestry and skincare, tie both together and create products that uh, make, you know, are good for you, smell nice, and um, have this deep message both on the um, sort of plastic free front and zero waste front because our packaging is zero waste as well as this deeper uh, this deeper um, area of uh, you know using tree crops in perennial plants um, which is the core of our like company this, that's that's what differentiates ourselves from the others is, is this fact that we are trying to regenerate the planet through tree planting. Sustainability is, is not enough. Sustaining the land, sustaining things the way they are isn't enough. We really need to go and reverse climate change. How do you do that? Through these diverse farming systems that incorporate perennial crops and tree crops. Um, and so you can do so through, through skincare, basically. Uh, this is my channel. I love this. And I just feel your energy and passion like so deeply. We're on a Zoom <laughs> call, but it's so amazing to be around and to hear about this, too. And speaking about like kind of the life cycle of, of impact, too, I used to do was super interested in film. And when I was in that moment trying to create impact, I was looking towards mm -hmm. documentaries and realized that this just wasn't mm -hmm. happening fast enough for me. And I can't see once it's distributed. I can't see the impact. So I think it's so cool that you turned to creating this product to really see that impact as well. What was your first product for Anato and how did you discover this? Ha, that is a very good question. So the first official Anato product was a sunblock because um, when I was doing my field work 
in Hawaii for my master's, I discovered a tree called Anato. Um, oh. The Latin name is Pixa orellana. And it's a tropical tree that has these bright, uh, bright red, well, these, the, the pods are kind of green and then they turn orange. Um, but the, the seeds inside are bright orange. It's this beautiful, deep, orangey, pinkish, reddish type uh, seed. And in Hawaii, when I was, I was actually volunteering on this farm, and we would put the anato on our lips to protect our lips from the sun. And when we went surfing, we would lather it on our cheeks because what's great with anato is that it, it looks kind of cool, but it protects your skin from the sun and it's water resistant. So it's a win-win, you know, kind of cool seed. Wow. And this is the seed that I decided to incorporate in the sunblock that I was making for the gap year when I traveled with my brother. So the sunblock, I had all sorts of different names for it. I think I called it the sun potion at one point and yeah. you know, it's the ocean friendly sunblock, but it's a zinc based uh, sunscreen. So um, this is a whole different chapter or story, but there's a difference between sunscreen, which is a chemical barrier and sunblock, which is a physical barrier that just basically the particles in the sunblock just reflect the sun. And that's how you're protected through a physical barrier. And on the Anato blog, um, if you go to anatolife.com uh, forward slash sunblock versus sunscreen, uh, there's a whole blog post that describes this and why sun physical barriers are much better um, for your skin, but also um, for reefs. Because when you're playing around in the ocean, the uh, sunscreen leaches and contributes to coral uh, die off, basically. Um, so that was the first product that I made. And then you asked kind of what other products they had and what this, you know, what we have now. So at first I was really working on products that I used every day. I made sunblock, I made, um, deodorant, I made a solid shampoo and a vinegar rinse. I made lip balm, but then I quickly realized like how much work this all is and, um, <laughs> the margins aren't great on these products. Like, uh, I was, I'm using these tubes, like just to give you an idea, our tubes, um, in which our sunblock, sunblock comes and the, um, the deodorants used to come in these tubes are $2.70 per tube. All right. If you think about any average company, this is the tube. You're on camera. You can see it. This is the tube. This is $2.70. Okay. This is really expensive. Other companies selling sunblock that the, the, the packaging is like cents, cents. Mm, this is $2.70. Yeah, because it's plastic. So it's super easy to make. And so um, when I was putting the numbers together and like the marketing involved, I was like, man, this just doesn't add up. My margins aren't good enough. I'd have to be charging 50 bucks for maybe not 50 bucks. I'm judge. I'd be having to, to, to charge like 30 bucks for a deodorant and, um, you know, 30 bucks for a shampoo. Who the hell wants to pay that much for these items? So then I had to kind of refine, you know, everything's still done in house. But when I, I think I came out with 13 different SKUs, 13 different products, and I had to rein it in and think, okay, which of the products are best sellers and where, do, where, do, where are my margins, you know, um, the best. And so that is ultimately what has defined the current line. And I still have past customers that love our solid shampoos um, and the deodorants and I do small batches and I kind of sell them um, you know behind the scenes but um, 
yeah, that's kind of the evolution of the product. Wow. I'm still even more curious about the product. Is there one that you could kind of describe from start to finish on how it's made and how it's produced? Yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty straightforward. It's just like cooking, really. You um, you kind of think about which product you want to make. And um, I did a lot of testing. So for the deodorant, I mean, I started off, I think I the deodorant, I, I started when I was a master's student and I would literally test essential oils out. I would buy these essential oils and I would, put a drop under my armpit and another drop of a different essential oil under the other armpit. And at the end of the day, I would go sniff, <laughs> sniff. And um, by process of elimination, I figured out which essential oils worked best. And then you kind of look on the internet, you get inspired, you know, every startup and every artist gets inspired by what, what other people are doing. And then you improve and perfect and, um, and mix different ingredients together and find the packaging because it's not just sort of making the product and the formulation it's really thinking about the packaging as well and when it comes to offering things as plastic free as possible that's where a lot of my time has been spent um as well and the packaging is beautiful and if anyone hasn't checked it out you have to now and it's such a consistent brand across all your products as well i'm a a big fan (laughs) i appreciate it yeah i worked so hard um i have my products in front of me here but the packaging is a whole other story in itself. It's been definitely the most challenging because um, you have to think about everything. Just to give you an example, like glass is fantastic. It's inert. It's the best material to, to conserve food and cosmetic products. But glass is one, heavy. Two, it breaks. Okay, so what are the solutions? Um, so I have the boom réparateur, which is our repair balm that comes in glass, but then there's an extra little travel tin that it's sold with so I can keep my price up, uh, but also offer like a travel option um, alongside the glass container because believe it or not, metal's awesome, but actually metal isn't plastic free. In every soda can, in every um, can of food that is metal, there's an inside lining of plastic. Think about tomatoes. If you didn't have a plastic lining, it would rust. So that people don't think about, oh, it's plastic free. Yeah, no, there is a plastic lining. So I try to stay away from metal uh, as much as possible. There's a metal lid on our glass containers but it doesn't touch the product, which is really important. Um, so anyways, that's just to give you an idea and a taste for the complicated aspect. And then it's the label, which any, you know, any startup founder can talk about labels and how, okay, you have this tiny little label. How do I fit everything on here and <laughs> make it pretty? Um, so yeah, <laughs> packaging. Selfishly, a dream conversation for me because also there's like, in especially in beauty, any products, there's no information about people talking about this process, and it's so great mm-hmm. that you're you're sharing this, and hopefully it inspires a lot of people to start similar ventures because they realize, oh my gosh, it's possible. Like if you put in the work and you test things like you have, like and you have the mindset like Celine, like you can do it. I wanted to go a little bit back to the beginning of stages too, and even how it's evolved right now. How has this balance between your work and your life and your fun and experience kind of evolved over time and if you want to start maybe one when you started the company what were those moments like for balance honestly there is never any balance it's work 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 and then think about fun and exercise later um and it it has it's it's always been like that for me. I mean, I mentioned I had difficulties in school learning because I'm just a slow learner. And 
it's always been like that work comes first and then comes play and I happen to have you know a family that loves um playing in the outdoors and a, a boyfriend and a partner who also does and who gets me outside but there's no balance it's really hard um for me it comes down to like I know that if I go surf for one hour I will feel amazing and that the ocean will rejuvenate me and there's a lot of science behind this and just kind of especially when the swell is big here like I go surfing and it's like all my problems get washed away I get tangled in the kelp and I get swept up in the waves and tumbled and like as if I'm in some washing machine but I come out and I just it's like clean slate okay ready to work and so for me balance is really remembering that I need to take the time to do that because I know I'll feel so much better and it's just like every you know form of exercise but that for me the balance is really all around making sure I get at least one hour of exercise in a day um it's it's really hard you know when you're working for for yourself like if you stay at home on the weekend you're going to work all weekend you're going to go to your activity you might go out on a saturday night to hang out with your mate but you're going to be working the rest of the day and um balance is is really hard for me what has always fueled me and i'm so grateful and um about this is that i any vacation i go on is with my family because i'm really close to my family my parents my little brothers and so I work head down and then I know that I have two weeks where I can chill and I, I just kind of leave work um, for, you know, pretty much leave work. I mean, not, not completely, yeah. let's be honest, but you know, I, it's just a change of scenery and, and it fuels me that the, the, these vacations that I take for two weeks, you know, going back to Europe or meeting my parents somewhere in the Caribbean, like fuels me for the next six months. Um, and so that's, that's really where I found balance. And this has been the case for me for a long time. This work really hard and then take some time off, just get off, get out of your town and just go away and be in nature. And, and, um, for me during my vacations, it's all about like extreme sports and exercise, like skiing mm. from, you know, 9am until like, until it's dusk and, um, windsurfing, um, and swimming and just being out and exercising until you're exhausted um that is that's what fuels me that's this balance of like i gain weight during the winter and then in the summer at the end of the summer i shed weight and i i this is the the balance this this flow of hard work and vacation is um what has worked for me um so yeah but it's it's hard <laughs> i love all the ways that you explain on how you raise your series and I think that break is also important too and a lot of people often don't think they can have the vacation especially working for yourself like it's so hard to just completely unplug when you're an entrepreneur everything requires brain power and planning the weekend or planning a getaway for even like three days is a lot of work like it's mental energy and when you work a nine to five you can plan that after five and on the weekend but when you're an entrepreneur, you can't. And so I don't really do much during like the semester quote, because I still think of, you know, semesters, I suppose. <laughs> so being able to just forecast like a two week break or even a three week break where you get out of town has been the way for me to, has been how I found balance because I look forward to that. And I, and in the day to day, the week to week, the month to month, I don't need to think about what kind of fun I'm going to have or 
you know, I can just look forward to this sort of biannual break that I take, you know, at Christmas and in the summer. And that's really helped me. Amazing. And you speak of these kind of refresh moments when you come back. When is a moment that you've felt the happiest to do what you do? Every time a, uh, you know, we get an order, there's always this little happy dance um, because, you know, we're not at the stage yet where we're not keeping track of orders. I I keep track of my orders and um, especially when it's a bigger order, um, it's so satisfying. It's so fulfilling. Um, But I I guess beyond that um, is when you get an unsolicited testimonial that you save someone's skin or they, your oil um, not only serves to hydrate their skin, but it relaxes them at night and they put it on every night and it helps them fall asleep. Um, or, you know, they protect their kid's face from the sun with this. And the kid loves wearing sunblock now because our sunblock tastes and smells of chocolate. So um, these are really moments that fuel me. And, you know, being an entrepreneur and a creative person, the other thing is just getting ideas with my partner, Christian, who is an integral part of my life and who's also an entrepreneur. And when you're talking at night at dinner and you have this awesome idea for like a new slogan or this catchy word or this idea of a new product, and you can do that, you can move forward because you're small, you're nimble, and you can make shit happen fast. And that is another thing that really lights me up and is ex- incredibly exciting. I love those moments of energy and exactly like I can actually do this and I'm going to do it tomorrow. Like that's exactly how, when I first founded my company, I had that idea. I was like, I need to do this today. It's going to launch next week. And that wasn't yeah. the case, but that excitement is, is yeah. contagious for yourself to continue going, but also the people mm-hmm. around you that you're working with. Yeah. So exciting. I'm going to jump a little bit. You have a store in Santa Cruz. When, when did that, did, was the store always there when you first created an auto? When did you decide that this store was right? So we actually don't have a storefront. We have a studio where we host workshops and I've been doing this for a while. Actually, I started off giving workshops in my apartment before I moved into the RV. And, um, for me, it was really important to get customer feedback that's another thing that really fuels me and lights me up is during these workshops I teach some herbalism workshops I teach some sort of intro to skincare workshops and um, it's really awesome to see one-to-ones a customer a customer's eyes light up when they um, learn something new or discover a new scent Um, so we have workshops here this is the office portion of um, my studio and then next door is uh, a beautiful room where I host workshops um, and so but we don't have a storefront I, I really don't want to have to be managing schedules and employees and things I don't have any official employees they're all independent contractors but people do come frequently to my office and studio to pick up orders um, because we have a refill system and we encourage people to reuse their containers and so um, or bike and pick up their order. And so um, that's when I would interact with customers. That's awesome. And I think also pivoting to workshops, I teach workshops as well. And I started last August and it's so special and the amount of people mm-hmm. that you can reach and touch and you actually see their interactions. And as, as like a consumer packaged good, like you don't, 
you don't see the interaction unless people share it on social media in these days right now. Exactly. Exactly. And it's really important to just in the development of the products. I mean, that this is kind of a side having a shop, but attending um, events when you have a consumer product is gold to get like instant customer feedback. Yeah. Do you have any company like rituals when something good happened or you're launching something new that kind of brings this fun into your, to your work? No, (laughs) I Christian, uh, my partner, like works in the same office, uh, especially now during COVID and either I call him up or we just stand up and shout out excitement across the room. Um, but that's the extent of it. I honestly don't have like that many rituals. I just kind of fly by the seat of my pants. I love that. And I think that moment is so special when you get to share, especially with someone else. Like mm-hmm. I'm by myself and I'm like, okay, yay, yeah, something happened. Talking to myself again. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Very special. And yeah, so we just spoke, we just said the word COVID. So I just wanted to ask, um, kind of, I saw you came out with a new product with the hand sanitizer. Mm-hmm. And I'm just curious whether this is your online presence or actual products. How has your company kind of pivoted, pivoted and transitioned when, when all of this started? Yeah, so it was super stressful. We had a bunch of trade shows and events lined up for the spring. I was really ready to go bigger um, and get in front of some big buyers at trade shows. And so when that all got canceled, I you know, decided to double down and spent some more time on social media and doing Instagram lives and um, things of that nature. And then this idea crossed our mind to perhaps come up with a hand sanitizer, you know, I can make things pretty quickly. Um, But then I thought about it and it's not just making a new product. It's also sourcing the ingredients, sourcing the packaging, designing the label and marketing and photographing taking pictures of a new product. And that was very overwhelming. So I kind of put the idea on hold for like two weeks. And all of a sudden, as I was in my studio one evening packing orders, I remembered this farm that I had visited in California that sells um, alcohol that is made from agricultural green waste. And that got my wheels spinning, thinking to myself, oh, if I could get the alcohol, which is like the main ingredient locally, then that could create a story and I could sell hand sanitizer. And so that's kind of what we did. I, we contacted them um, and this launched like the hand sanitizer production. Let me tell you, it was terrible, like so hard to find spray bottles and bottles and we had to mishmash like and change the packaging. And it, it was pretty stressful finding the packaging. Um, but yeah, the hand sanitizer became a bestseller, um, pretty quickly and, um, really put our business on the map in terms of getting new wholesale accounts. We have a lot of local shops now selling our hand sanitizer and some bigger companies that are interested in, um, buying it as well, just because this pandemic is going to continue for the foreseeable future. Mm -hmm. Um, and our hand sanitizer is awesome. You know, it comes in a spray bottle. And, um, so it, it doesn't have like aloe and doesn't like stick to your fingers. Like a lot of these other hand sanitizers do. And it smells amazing. I will literally spritz my hands like, can you smell it guys? Can you smell it? (laughs) (laughs) Give myself a little, this is the new kind of podcast. You can smell things. 
<laughs> yeah, it, it smells of mint. It kind of wakes me up and I, I think it's great. So um, that, is, that was our pivot. Um, you know, the numbers of online orders skyrocketed. Everyone was hanging out online. So we spent a lot of time focusing on newsletters and quality blog posts to um, educate our community, which we call our community, because um, everyone is part of this, uh, yeah, the, this community. Congrats on all the traction and the new product. I'm excited to see what's next. So what is next for the company or what do you envision? Yeah, so I'm an, uh, an idea generating machine and so is my partner Christian who helps me out day to day. This is, you know, my nonprofit partner as well. So um, I've had to rein it in because we have so many ideas, but up next we have um, one, one product I'm not going to talk about um, because it's still pretty secret, but I can talk about two. One Ooh. is a men's oil that is an aftershave and also serves as an eau de cologne and just smells like amazing. It smells so good that women are going to want to wear it too. I know it. It smells woodsy and it's just so, it, it, it's just an amazing aroma um, that's very sensual and, and just amazing. So that is the next product. And then we also have a product that is trees wax so trees wax is you can see the stamp here on camera um it's a surf surf wax that is made from can you guess it trees <laughs> um so mo all surf wax uh all the main surf wax brands out there um so surf wax is the wax that you wax your board with um you know to make the board uh, adhere to your feet <laughs> for those of you that aren't surfers and you go through wax like nobody's business you know you wax your board wax your board this is a petroleum product and surfers call themselves like ocean enthusiasts and you know um, receptive to environmentalism but it's it's made from you know petroleum products and so it's nasty so we have come out with well I should say Christian has come out with a Surfworks that is made from well it's our slogan is responsibly sourced from rocks and trees so um that's what the trees wax is we're very excited we want to really uh revolutionize the surf industry um when it comes to wax and we have a really low price point for it so that it's competitive with the other waxes out there you know my products um my skincare products are a little bit more you know more not expensive but you know they're not things you'd find at the dollar store um, but the wax is going to be really competitive and, and that's our goal is to really bring it in. And, um, we are talking to, um, some of the writers from Patagonia and, um, it's a pretty exciting, uh, endeavor, especially for my partner, Christian, who is very tapped into the water sports industry through kiteboarding, surfing, and is enabling him to really sort of, um, uh, go, come back to some of these connections that we've formed over the years just by running plastic tides, you know, which is very ingrained in the water sports industry itself and come out with a, an actual product that tells a story. This is so exciting. Probably heard it here first, or maybe you heard it somewhere else, but we'll take credit for it. So yeah. exciting. you just dropped Patagonia is, and I saw in your bio, you sent me, you're wearing a Patagonia. Are you speaking oh. about the same Patagonia? Yeah. Patagonia, the clothing store, they, um, 
casual. Pati- <laughs> so so I, I've been talking to Patagonia for a number of years now because they, you might know this or not, but they have a food chain that is called Patagonia Provisions. And um, Patagonia Provisions, what they're doing is talking about regenerative agriculture, regenerative farming and perennial plants, but in the food industry, that's their baby is really um, making this high quality uh, camping food to eventually start a a, a whole food line that is all about perennials and regenerative agriculture, which can can include um, fish products and and meat products as well. Um, And so that's why I've been in conversation with them and I follow them quite closely. I've uh, spoken to the CEO a few times now about where they're headed. Um, well, she, she just stepped down, um, Rose Marcario, um, she stepped down as, from CEO position, but um, that's what they're really pushing for. And so it, it just, you know, they're also a surf brand. They sell wetsuits and um, yeah, so it just, the pieces come together and, and it's, it's pretty exciting. That's, that's so exciting. Wow. I, I love that I got to hear about this. When you <laughs> go on to this next expedition, lots of excitement coming. Is there one resource um, that you could share that you focus on with your self-care? It could even be one of your products that might help someone. Well, it, it just comes down to spending time in nature, to be honest, the self-care. It it's, doesn't even have to be a product, just learning to recognize some different plants and trees and sniffing them or touching them. Uh, for me, that is like the best form of self-care. It's so grounding and it just reminds you that you are part of the environment and not separate or above um, the environment as a human species. I love that. And one, the final thing, if mm-hmm. you could give any advice to someone who's looking to start their business or is in the process right now what would you tell someone so i'm gonna be really direct and harsh here because (laughs) starting your own business is the hardest freaking thing you'll ever do it is so demanding you're gonna lose friends and relationships your health is gonna go out the window it's just challenging like beyond belief and really takes a toll on your mental health your physical health So before you even start or delve into it, just ask yourself, is what you're making or what you're doing truly revolutionary? Is it totally and utterly different? Does it solve this problem that no one else is solving? Because if it isn't, then it's not worth pursuing. You're better off going to work for another company, another startup, working on their dime, learning on their dime, um, than starting something from scratch because Social media makes it look so easy to start something new. You can just start a new account in, with a click of your fingers, but to get customers and feedback to build a brand that is cohesive, that is good quality, is incredibly difficult and taxing. I mean, we were two years old this month and we only started, quote, slightly marketing in November when I brought on someone to help me with content marketing. I haven't done any paid ads, any PR, any of that. Mm because I've been building the brand. And especially when something is truly good quality and sustainable, um, it, it takes two years to, to develop well. I mean, it honestly does, there's research. So I guess my advice is, yeah, just make sure that no one else is, is doing what you're doing and um, 
The other thing is, you know, if, if you are going to start, start small. Don't get carried away with a shiny squirrel syndrome where you want to bring out 13 different products like me at, uh, at a time. It's great for R&D and to get customer feedback, but start small. Don't get too carried away because it's a long road ahead of you. <laughs> Love that advice too. And I think you can see it, your determination and resilience across that advice and also within your products too. Thank you so much for coming on, Celine. Thanks for having me. This was very fun. Nice way to spend my Friday afternoon. Yes, such, such an awesome way. And I'm curious, where can people find your company or you online? We are at anatolife.com. Again, anato is the name of a tree, A-N-A-T-O life because we're a lifestyle brand love it thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of series e i hope that you love celine's story i know that i did and i really learned so much and i hope you think about ways that you can raise your series e in your own life and whatever you're building and her story is really just so full of determination and resilience to create products that shift mindsets and people's actions and just in general the future of our planet so i'm so excited to see what she does next and to try out those new products she mentioned so make sure to follow her and check out this site and if you want to support series e i would highly recommend that you rate us five stars on apple Podcasts, leave a review you know leave a nice comment say hey what's up and follow us on instagram at series e podcast thank you for spending your time here and i'm excited to share more and bring some more guests on talk to you soon See you when Series E returns.